Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? And, of course, if you're outside of our normal calling area, you can always add 225 to the beginning of that, and that'll get you right on through. That's right, and I believe uh, last week our furthest caller was Portland, Oregon, wasn't that's it? That's right. Well, that's about as far as you can go um, <laughs> over the Pacific Ocean. Well, you can still go a little bit farther, but... Uh, <laughs> that's pretty darn far. That is. <laughs> but, yeah, hey, why don't you go ahead and give us a call and tell our producer where you're calling from. And she'll get you an Agco t-shirt if you happen to be the furthest caller for the day. That's right. They always got that going on every single week. We hope that once you get your t-shirt, you can take a photo in front of a local landmark. Send it in. We'll put that on the website. Sure. Kind of show how far out getting. Have to, have to get a whole new category to... That's right. To put those in? That's right. Hey, that is not a problem. <laughs> I see we've got our lines lit up. Let's go to the phone lines. We've got Steve on the line. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. Hey, Good morning. this morning? I got this old, my sister-in-law had this uh, Crown Victoria been sitting up now for two years. Okay. And I put a new battery in it yesterday and mm. took it to the corner to put some gas in it and it didn't have uh, any gas in it hardly. Okay. I tried to pump some gas in it and it, well, to start with, when I opened the, I had put a little gas in it with a gas can I had before I left home and I mm. only drove it like two or three hundred yards to the uh-huh. corner. Yes, sir. When I took the cap off, the tank was pressurized. Okay. I tried to put gas in, and it was real hard. I finally got five gallons. Yeah, it kept it clicking kept back on you. Back off. Mm-hmm. And then the, the first thing I found when I opened the door was two uh, dried-out wash nests in it. <laughs> That'll so do it. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, Steve, on that particular car, the most common thing is going to be the charcoal canister has probably either got a mud diver's built a nest in the, in the in inlet tube or... Or the vent solenoid may have stuck in the closed position just from sitting too long. But it's going to be something in that system. If you go into the back of the car, about where the spare tire well is, you're going to see a square box-looking thing bolted to the floor. Uh That's the charcoal canister. If you take and simply unplug the hose going into it, and then go over and see if you can fill it up. If you can fill it up easily at that point, then you know that's going to be the problem. Okay. Now, it's going to kick a check engine light on if you unplug it, but that's no big deal at this point. But it's either that... I think that was on already anyway. Well, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it's been sitting two years. I'm sure right. it is. That's most of the time where we find the problem. They will actually just stop up over time because the big filter is what it is. It sucks air in to vent the tank and uh-huh. expels fumes out. And they'll just plug up with dust sometimes. Sometimes the charcoal will just break down and turn to a brick and block it. Sometimes a little valve. But it's going to be something in that area. Okay. So, like I said, just go back. The little cover's right under the floor. You can crawl on the car and get to it pretty easy. And just find the hose and just temporarily unplug the hose and then go see if you can put gas in it easy. If you can, then that's going to be something in that system. And you could take each part off and kind of check it individually. I mean, if nothing else, just take a hose and see if you can blow through it. Right. It's just a rudimentary test, but you'll find your problem there. One other thing, mm-hmm. when I, whenever we shut it down, the, the fuel gauge was working right. It was on empty. It didn't yes. have any gas mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. When I went back and put the battery in it, it was past full. Then when I put that five gallons in, it came back down to about half full, you know, but I know it's not, it doesn't have the five gallons in it. Yeah, Steve, I would, that would affect not, that too. no, it's not going to affect that, but it's pretty likely if it's been sitting for a couple of years with no gas in it, you're going to have some rust in that tank, which is going to okay. be a thorn in your side from now on. Is this something she's just trying to fix up to get rid of? No, she's on her own, so she's going to have to do something. Yeah, Steve, that car is probably going to be pretty problematic to her, and I, and I don't want to wish yeah. bad luck on her, but. That's oh, about the worst you possible thing you can do to a car. Yeah, about the worst possible thing you can do to it. What you might want to do once you get it running, see how well it runs and see if it kind of stumbles and misses, which it probably will, and it's going to probably get to where it's hard to start. It cranks, doesn't want to start. 
And when you get a fuel pressure gauge on, you can see the fuel pressure is probably low. And when you drop fuel tank, you see a bunch of rust in the fuel tank. And that's just kind of the normal scenario that they follow. If that's the case, you could need to end up putting a fuel tank on it. Now, fortunately, they made 10 gajillion of those cars, and the fuel tanks are all roughly the same. So you could probably go to a salvage yard, find a fairly fresh car that hadn't been out there too long, and get a good tank out of that. And, and that way it would be cost-effective. Because if you got to buy that tank from Ford, you're probably talking 700 bucks, <laughs> more than the car's worth, you know. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to ask you, right. I don't know if you can say this over there or not. but Just uh, no brand names. You, yeah, well, that's okay. I was going to send you an email. Will you <laughs> yeah, do it over the computer yeah, yeah. or not? Absolutely. Okay. All righty. All right. Thank you, Okay, man. man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Remember, you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. And we're going back to lines with Carol. Good morning, Carol. Yes, sir. Good morning, guys. I sure appreciate you taking my call this morning. Well, thank you. Got a little issue with a Honda Element, an older Honda Element All that right, my sir. daughter drives. Uh-huh. Got about 170,000 miles. Okay. And two or three months ago, my son-in-law and I replaced the starter. Uh-huh. Of course, to get to the starter, we had to take off the intake manifold. Okay. Down in there. Now, uh-huh. put everything back together, and I noticed when we cranked it back up that it, every time you cranked it, there was a little spit, uh, kind of backfire-sounding gas emissions, spitting spit okay. fire, I guess. Okay. Yes, sir. They're out of town this weekend. I'm driving a car again today, mm-hmm. and it's still does that and i'm just one i thought it was something that would just work itself out yeah probably we not used, we used a new gasket to put the intake manifold back yes, on but, but did we not tighten it down tight enough well there's no, yeah there's a number of ways that you could go wrong on that thing carol what year model is it do you know it's older i would imagine that car is about eight years old it's so not older after 1996 though huh i would think so yeah yes. are you getting a check engine light no sir because most of the time, if the intake gasket is not on there or if it's leaking, you're going to set a PO-171 and a PO-174, which is going to be a lean bank one, lean bank two, which is what will cause the cough back when it's cranking mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Do you hear any vacuum kind noise with the motor running that would indicate the, in- the manifold's leaking? Uh, I do hear some noise uh, up there. Like, like a hissing or sizzling? No, sir, not that. I, I think the noise I hear is more like a... A loose something loose. Yes, sir. There, but but you I know, don't think it's that. It could be Carol that you maybe just created another problem while you were in there. Doesn't really sound so much like an intake mm-hmm. issue mm-hmm. from what you're describing. Because generally with an intake, you're gonna hear like a loud sucking noise, and you're gonna really? set a check engine light, which is not doing either one of those. Okay. Did you happen to tamper with the distributor at all? Mm, not that I know of. Okay. All I know is we had two guys who were shade tree mechanics. Uh-huh. <laughs> we thought we got the starter fixed. But we're not sure what we did with Now, what I did with that manifold when I had it off is I cleaned it out with manifold cleaner and, and stuff. Had a lot of black gunk down in there. Yes, sir. All that out. Well, that, that's pretty common for that to get right. in there with the EGR okay. system. Okay. I would almost suspect that you maybe created another problem or that another problem was just fixing the start and it just had maybe a coincidence that it came in i just don't think there's a whole lot with the intake now it's possible some lines got crossed maybe a vacuum line got crossed so that something's not working properly maybe egr lines got crossed there was a little issue with those vehicles where the egr passages which do run through the intake manifold can plug up with carbon like you'd mentioned Mm -hmm. and if you happen to clean one of them out but the other three are still plugged. 
then what's going to happen is that when the EGR valve opens, it's like a big, huge vacuum leak on that one cylinder because all the gas flows into one cylinder, which leans it out, which will cause you coughing and you popping and all that. Mm-hmm. So it could be that you cleaned one out and then the carbon kind of flowed down and got stuck in the other three, mm-hmm. something along those lines. But again, it ought to almost be set in an EGR code. Mm-hmm. The fact that it has no codes is what kind of disturbs me a little bit. One last thing just to look at, pull the distributor cap off and look in there and see if there's any oil inside that distributor cap okay because that was a fairly common problem on those vehicles the shaft seal would actually start to leak and oil would pump up the shaft of the distributor which can cause a lot of that kind of mess you know okay well as long as and it seems to run fine once it cranks yeah doesn't seem to be an issue it's just when you crank it you get that little yeah a little uh, cough blowback yeah that's Hmm. correct yeah, that's kind of a weird one there. I'd have to really see it and put some okay. gauges on it, tell you much of anything more, unfortunately. But just okay. kind of retrace all the steps of what you did. Make sure you have a vacuum line crossed anywhere. Okay. okay. All right. I'll do that. I'll do that. And I appreciate your time, guys. All right, sir. Thanks for calling, man. Right. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Ever plan to motor west? Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. I get you. Good morning, and welcome back to Automotive Maintenance School, fellas. Good morning. Yesterday, we left off talking about how to upsell your customers with the sneaky $24.99 oil change. Yeah, they come in for the special, and bam, we hit them with other problems we just happened to find while doing the oil change. <laughs> yeah, and then you tell them, it's a good thing you came in for our oil change special. Yeah, you may never have known you needed all this work. Yeah, sound like you fellas did your homework. I just hope none of your customers did. (laughs) Agco Automotive has this to say about low-price oil changes. Take advantage of them. And if you get a list of recommended repairs, bring your vehicle to us for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, it's the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? Of course, error code 225 will get you right on in here if you happen to be outside of our calling area. That's right, and right now is a great time to call, too. Well, We've got all right. our lines wide open. And- Absolutely. You know, just in case you don't care to call in, something occurred to you during the week. That's right. You can always visit the website and get your questions answered that way. That's right. You can hit that website 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's it. There's a contact bar on every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night. You just use the form on the site to answer your question and get it right back to you. I got a comment on one of the articles we wrote this morning. I read it, and this is from, he didn't say where it was from, but it's a tech who has worked in the industry for 40 years, so he's worked mostly in Ford garages, Lincoln, uh-huh. Lincoln Mercury. And he was reading the article on wallet flushes, and he says, this is great. This is exactly what needs to be said. He said, I get so tired of trying to make a living, and my supervisors and and everybody's trying to push me to sell junk I don't need. Correct. I just want to do good work and make a good living. That's all I want to do. Sounds like he's in the wrong place. (laughs) That's right. Well, well, that's right. But you could tell the frustration in his words. Sure. And, of course, we've all pretty much experienced that who've ever worked in this business but yeah it was a real nice comment on there so glad to hear it yeah apparently we're reaching a whole lot of other people out there as well <laughs> but put an article on there this morning on buying a car with a salvage title right 
And this is something that crops up from time to time. Folks will come in and say, man, look, I found a great deal in this car, but it's got a salvage title. What do you think? Uh, I think it's time to run. (laughs) Well, I've been checking cars for 40 years, used cars, inspections and all, and i got to say, the vast majority of the ones that come in with a salvage title, they don't make the inspection. Yeah. you got to remember, an insurance company is an absolute master at cutting costs, containing costs, and fixing cars for a reasonable amount of money. I mean, that is what they do. And they are experts. They have already figured out that this car cannot be repaired properly for a reasonable amount of money. That's why it's totaled. Uh The cost of repair exceeds the value of the car. Sure. So to cut their cost further, what they do is they auction it off. And the majority of the total cars that get auctioned off go to a parts operation that breaks them down, sells the good parts left. and. The rest so of it goes to the crusher and some of it goes to crusher. make a brick but out of it. A lot of them actually get bought by people who patch them up and sell them again. Sure. And until fairly recently, we didn't even have a way to know that. You might buy a car that had been reconstructed and not even know it. Now the state of Louisiana does stamp right on the title something like reconstructed vehicle or salvage, salvage vehicle title. or something to that effect. So at least it's some warning. And the average person would do very, very, very well to heed that as a huge red flag sure i've seen cars come through the shop was actually two cars yeah well you know one of them got hit in the front the other one got hit in the kind of sort of welded together they cut it right down the middle and half uh, passed uh, it back look, together and i saw a toyota boy. one time put together with sheet metal screws believe yeah it or not. i have too i think i was there <laughs> yeah i think so, i was there that's not to say that in one particular instance one particular car got rebuilt really really well and it's a great deal and yeah 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 but the vast majority of what we have seen is right. really, really substandard. In my opinion, these cars shouldn't even be allowed back on the road. A lot of them are not even safe. They've cut corners. They've used aftermarket parts. They've A lot of times the guys who do this kind of work are not qualified. Nobody checks them. Nobody checks their qualifications. That's right. They don't have to have any kind of licensing or anything else. Yep. Here you are welding cars it. together, putting them out on the road. You right. Know? 70, 80 miles an hour down the interstate. Oh, yeah. And and not only is it bad for the guy who unfortunately made the decision to buy it, but suppose I'm coming the other way. Exactly. You know, when his car decides to break in half. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. But good article. You might want to read it, and maybe some of the politicians will read it, too. and Maybe. Put a few more teeth in that law. But Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> I, I wouldn't really count on that. Yeah, I feel so. <laughs> but tons of good things on that site you can find. Just pop on there, look around. It's www.agcoauto.com. I think you'll really like it. And we're going back to our phone lines with Jim. Good morning, Jim. Hey, how are you today? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Got a 1971 Corvette uh-huh. with a GM crate motor. I think it's just generic 882 head. Yes, uh-huh. sir. Mm-hmm. And it has 650 CFM carburetor. Okay. And I'm continuing. It's got kind of a rigged up EGR and vacuum system. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. So I've tried all four of the valve cover openings. Okay. I've got I've got the vacuum running from a sealed top to the carburetor, and then I've got a breather cap on the other side. Okay, now, are you talking about the EGR or are you talking about the PCV? PCV, I'm sorry. Oh, okay, okay, okay that, that makes sense. Jim, basically, all you have to do is you can put a vacuum cap on there as long as it's filtered, and then on the other line, just full engine vacuum with a PCV valve in it, and what that valve does is it throttles the flow so that at an idle, it more or less blocks it off so the engine doesn't miss. At moderate speed, it opens up and allows it to scavenge the engine, and if the engine coughs back, it closes up to keep ignition from going into the crankcase. 
So a pretty simple system, and it'll work any one of those ways. Breather cap will work on it, but like I said, just make sure it's filtered. If not, you're sucking dirty air into the engine. Right. Now, my, my, pro- my problem is okay. that I can't find a breather cap that will not leak. Yeah, that's going to be hard right. to do. What you might do, too, what kind of air cleaner do you have on it, Jim? It's a um, like open a, air. It's like a 12-inch. Yeah, like a chrome flat one. Yeah, 12-inch diameter, right. about 2-inch filter. You know what you might do? Get someone, or if you have the wherewithal, possibly do it yourself, but just solder a little nipple into the bottom of that air cleaner on the filtered side. Already done. Okay, and then just hook your line into there, and that way you're sucking through the air filter. Use that as your inlet. Okay, so don't even put one. Don't don't put the inlet on the valve cover. No, sir. In, in, on the valve, just put a regular cap on your valve cover, and then possibly down further. It should have two holes in that, that cover. One each, you know, where a PCB valve can go, and the other may have a block off plug. Right. You can actually put a grommet in there and run the hose down and put your inlet right there and have it go up to the air cleaner. So that it's okay. sucking the filtered side of the air filter will go into that side and it'll draw it out the other side. Y'all, all you really got to have is just flow through the engine. But well, then I, w- I wouldn't even need a breather cap on the other valve. No, exactly. In other words, where your breather cap is, you can put just a regular cap and seal that off. Further down the cover where that other hole is... There's a grommet that Chevrolet made at one time, and I'm sure it's still available, but the grommet goes in that hole, and then you can just stick your inlet right there. Right. And then that line goes to the air filter. Perfect. All righty. All right. Thanks, man. Okay. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. I remember when PCV valves first came out. 65, 62. I think 62? 62. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Before, I know the, before that, you had road draft tubes. Right. <laughs> I know the, the 65 Mustang had a road draft tube on it. Right, did it? Yeah, 62 to 65 is when Somewhere it started coming there, out. Yeah. I know the Chevrolet, I think, was 62. Mustang could have been 65. But right. just went down, and it was cut off at an angle. And as you went down the road, the draft of the air just sucked Pulled fumes the, out of the that's motor. That's right. More or less. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it worked. Yeah, kind of sort of. Kind of sort of. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to the phone lines with Chris. Good morning, Chris. Hey there, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I'm calling about a 2000 Nissan Max. Okay. And when I first crank it up, and it doesn't happen every time, but sometimes, Uh immediately after it cranks up, it'll idle really low, like it's about to cut off, and then it'll come back up. Mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. then it'll come back up and run fine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And sometimes, when I crank it up, it'll idle really low, and it actually will cut off. Yes, sir. I understand. And then the next time it'll crank just fine. Yeah. You know, so Chris, know. what that is, is a part called an idle air servo. And what the idle air servo is, it's a little tiny stepper motor. It's inside the throttle body. And what it does is it turns a valve, which allows air into the engine, which is what makes it idle. You okay. know, the way that thing works is that when you crank it up, it's sitting all the way closed because it has no signal going to it. It has to screw out and give it enough air for that engine speed to pick up. As you put a load on the engine, like, for instance, when you turn the AC on or something, it recognizes that and gives it more air, which speeds the engine up even more, which keeps it idling properly. Now, what happens is that over time, these little motors get slow just because 12 years old and it's just getting slow. So when you crank it up, it can't open up fast enough. The engine stumbles, the RPM go down, and it dies on you. And sometimes it may work, sometimes it may not. But that was fairly common on that car. Unfortunately, those are kind of pricey, and you have to take throttle body off to change it, and I believe you may have to reprogram it after you put it in there. So it's probably not anything you could be able to do yourself. You might 
could, if you're pretty handy, you, you might could take it apart and clean it and see if that works. Almost no, never I'm does. Not, I'm, not handy. I'm not handy with it at yeah, all. Yeah, so. you're going to have to bring that to somebody, Chris, because what's going to happen, it's going to get worse and worse. It's just going to start dying. Like every time you take your foot off gas, it's going to die on you. Or at least most of the time when it gets really bad. It just okay. hasn't got that bad yet. Now, one other thing you could try is have someone try to clean the throttle body and reprogram the idle and just see if that helps. But probably will be too little too late. But that's something you could do fairly inexpensively. That could help. Okay. All righty. All right. Thanks very oh, much. Okay, Chris. Thanks for calling, man. If you want to be part of the Automotive uh, Hour. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we got to take one more quick little break, but we'll be right back with more. Mike, how are you and things at the dealership's maintenance department? Dave, things are great. You guys still running that low-priced $24.99 oil change at your place? Oh, yeah. Folks come in and we just happen to find a ton of other stuff wrong with their car. <laughs> Works, don't it? Sometimes when it's a woman, I make something up like, your flux capacitor has a leak. Yeah, or your strepanoid filter head needs to be replaced. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I gotta write that down. Agco Automotive wants to let you know how to stick it to the low-price oil chain shops. Go get the oil change and then take your vehicle and their list of recommended repairs to Agco for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. And we'll fix only that. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Loud noise off the river to ride. Don't mind it, cause the man with the whiskers has a lot behind hey, it. Hey, welcome back. He's joining us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvesan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us calls? Of course, area code 225. You have to be outside the calling area, listening on iHeart or Stitcher iTunes, or iTunes or any of those multimedia there you go. <laughs> ways internet. of listening. <laughs> internet, internet based. There things. you go. Or if you've got a really, really good AM radio. Hey, now. Hey, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to a guy in the shop yesterday. He was an old ham operator, ham uh -huh. radio operator. I used to do that back when I was a kid. And we had a little five-watt transmitter, and we could talk to all over the world. Yeah. You know, amazing how far a radio can get out if it's got the proper antennas and oh, yeah. all that kind of hoopla on it. And then the frequency has a lot to do with it. You know, short wave is a shorter-than-AM-type wave, so it bounces more, which it follows the curvature of the Earth. Mm -hmm. That's one thing I found out. The higher the frequency, it tends to go straight out rather than following the curvature of Earth, whereas right. a shorter wave bounces along the Earth, so that's why. And then you have certain atmospheric conditions sure. called skip conditions that actually make those waves bounce more, and that's why every once in a while you can hear an AM station in Chicago or something from in Baton Rouge playing, yeah. if you ever noticed that. I've, I've noticed you can carry, a few, carry them out a good ways. Yeah, every once in a while you'll get that skip condition so anyway that's all you might ever have wanted to know about radio waves there you go. <laughs> <laughs> on the automotive hour so uh, maybe we'd kind of tie that into car radios we'd be uh yeah you have some yeah that's right let's go back to our phone lines we got marlon online good morning marlon good morning yes sir good morning i have an 05 avalanche okay and whenever i go to start it uh-huh if it's been sitting for a while uh-huh uh, it'll just grind and grind and grind. Yes, it won't start. Mm -hmm. But if I turn the key on right. and turn it back off, it'll start. Or if I let it grind for just 
three yeah. or four revolutions. Yeah, right. Turn the key off, turn it back on, and it starts right up. Yes, sir. You don't want to let it grind like that morning. It's real, real tough on the starter and charging system. But what's going on, the fuel pump, there's a little check valve in it, absolutely notorious for failing. And when they do, they allow the fuel pressure to drain back to the tank when you cut the key off. Okay. So when you go to start it, there's no fuel pressure at the injectors. And right. when you turn the key on to start it, it runs the fuel pump for about two seconds, and then it cuts it off. Because if it didn't, it would flood it. So right. it gets the gas most of the way up there, but not enough. And it's sitting there, crank, 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 crank. You turn it off, and you hit it again. Well, that's when it runs it for another two seconds. Well, that pushes it on up. So you're going to need to change the fuel pump to fix that. And I know you're saying, well, that pump's awful expensive, and this ain't that big a problem. But this is just the first part of it. Next thing, one day you'll get in there and go crank, 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 and you can turn the key as many times as you want, and it ain't going to start. There's an easy way to verify that. There's actually a tap right on the top of the fuel rail. Mm-hmm. You hook up a fuel pressure gauge. Right. And you can actually take the gauge out the back of the firewall. I mean, up the firewall, out the back of the hood, and lay it on the windshield. Right, where you can see it. Where you can see it. And that the conditions happen again. Turn the key on and watch fuel pressure. Yeah. If the fuel pressure doesn't move that right. much, then yeah, you get you, you, you into fuel It may issue. jump up to 30 pounds, but that truck will not start at 30 pounds. That's right. It's got to have about 55 to 57 yeah. pounds to start. So what will happen is the first cycle, it might kick it up to 20 pounds, 30 pounds. And people will take the cab, oh, I got fuel pressure. No, you don't. <laughs> you right. got to measure the fuel pressure. But that's exactly what's going on. Very common. What you got, Marlon, about 100,000, 120,000 miles on? Yeah, 130. Yeah, that's about yeah. right. <laughs> you did good. Yeah, 130 is about the life of that fuel pump. I mean, before I got out of town with that truck and got stranded on the side of the road, I'd go ahead and change the fuel pump. Yeah, because right now you have time. Well, to you, do it at your convenience. That's right. You can choose where you want to have it done. You can do it at your own convenience. You can arrange a ride. Whereas if it breaks down on the way to your daughter's wedding, <laughs> no thanks. Or on and on, you know. <laughs> or worse yet, when your wife somewhere yeah. off in it. <laughs> there you go. That's even worse. If she says she's getting married. I can't get a buy a fuel pump anyway. Well, hey, that's true. Hey, I, look, I married two of them also. Uh, <laughs> Yep. So how, how expensive is that, and you think it's, I can do it myself? Or? It's pretty pricey. You possibly could. It's a pretty tough job, but, I mean, it can be done. you got to drop the gas tank out. If, if I you remember wanna, right, that tank is a bear to get out even on it the is rack. because the exhaust kind of runs under. There's a cross well, it, member under it. It's real close, and to get it out, you got to tilt it over the rear axle. And it's just oh, – wow. they made that tank longer yeah. than the Big tanks. tank in it. It's, it's tough to get out if on the ground. you do decide you want to do it, you want to run your fuel level down pretty low, down below a quarter tank before you try it, because that gas tank's awful heavy. In the shop, we got a lift we can raise it on. we got jacks that hook on that hook to it. Right. You can get hurt pretty easy if you're not real, real careful with it. But if you decide you're going to tackle it, like I said, run the tank down pretty low before you start and go buy a AC Delco fuel pump. As bad as they are, they're the best or the worst. The aftermarket stuff doesn't work at all. I mean, you, won't, you might not get three months out of an aftermarket one. And then you're going to be back doing be it again. back doing it all over again. And if so. you do it yourself, the first time you do it, you're not going to want to do yeah, it Yeah, well, the second time you take the <laughs> shop, I guarantee you that. <laughs> do you know about how much the labor is on, can y'all say that? Or? About two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. Times whatever yeah. the hour, hourly rate already is. Plus the pump. Yeah, plus the pump. Right. Can I go Okay. Walk? All right, well, man. Cool. I appreciate that. All, all right. right so. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. Thanks. Yeah, old jump sergeant. I was talking to him one time, and I said, "Is it hard to get these boys to jump out of this plane the first time?" He said, "Oh no, uh-uh. hard to get them jump out the second time. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> pretty easy the first time. Yeah. They don't know no better. Yeah, right. Let's go back to the phone lines. We got Rick on line. Good morning, Rick. Hey, how you doing? Doing great. Good sir. morning. I have a 01 suburban that mm-hmm. 
about five years ago, the anti-lock brake motor just started running yes, continuously. Yes, right. Very common. And, and uh, yeah, after looking on the Internet, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm seeing that that's pretty common. Mm-hmm. I, I wish they would recall that. It cost me about $1,100 to get oh, that. Oh, man. Now, you know, I'm going to really break your heart. Because you could have brought it to me, and we rebuild them for about 250 bucks. give you a three-year warranty on it. I think I'm going to come <laughs> see you next week. <laughs> yeah, the one from GM comes with a one-year warranty. It's about 1100 bucks. <laughs> well, after looking on the Internet, mm-hmm. that, I guess that was my question. I, I saw where they mm-hmm. could be rebuilt yes, sure. uh, for a few hundred dollars. But yes. then I thought, well, I don't know if I'm good enough to, to take the old one off, send Not it in. all that hard, but, you know, we can yeah. do the whole deal for you. For, I think it's about, what, about 45 minutes labor for Something us to like change, that. for us to pull it off. And you don't have to worry with it. I keep them in stock most time. And what I do, I just do an exchange thing. If I don't happen to have the one you need, it could take me about a week or so to actually rebuild it. But I could take right, it off. Right. You can take truck, drive it, and bring it back, and I can put it back on. There's two of those bolts that are real easy to get to. Mm-hmm. And the other two, you kind of kind of work by feel. Yeah. yeah. Because you can't see up. You, I guess you could take a mirror and shine it up in there. But then you're working backwards through a mirror. Right, and right. It can be done on the ground. Mm-hmm. With the right tool, I think yeah. it's a. I don't remember what size Torx bit it is, but it is a Torx bit that yeah. takes those out. Like about a five or. Something I'm like not. That. I don't remember. Yeah, a little tiny ten, pull. something like that. Yeah, but it's, it's not that expensive to have it pulled out and put back in for you. And we've got to have the truck because the equipment that we've got works with the entire vehicle. I know some of the ones on the internet you can pull the unit off and send it into them, and they can do it. We have to have the truck yeah. there to test it. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, my biggest concern was another. Thousand eleven twelve hundred dollars. Oh yeah, for yeah. A, well, and get the same thing you had before. That's right. a bad thing. Yeah, At least we yeah. change. We put different SCR in there, so it's not going to happen again. Well, uh, y'all worked on this vehicle for me before, mm-hmm. so I just wanted to call and see oh, yeah. what the lowdown on that was. I think I'll just make an appointment. Yeah. And come see yeah, you. Yeah, just call Lane, get it in, we'll swap it out for you. All right, thank you. Okay, Rick. All right, thanks, man. Bye. Bye. I remember you want to be part of the automotive. I would love to have you. You know, those ABS units and those dashes on the 2003 to 2007 models right. are both something that once people find out that these can be repaired, boy, they really get to rest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. Well, you drop 11 large <laughs> yeah. on an ABS unit, that's the same piece of junk that they took out. And it lasts a year, year yeah. and a half, maybe two. Yeah, whatever. But And it goes out again. And you can get it done for a quarter of that price and, and done right. And same right. thing with those dashes, you know, about 300 bucks. Uh, three and a quarter so we changed all six of the little stepper motors all 11 all or 12 of the bulbs right and we resorted a little led display so it quits dimming down on you the way yeah. they all do so yeah that kind of stuff is just a big 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 savings to the customer plus it speeds things up so much like i know with the dash panels when you go to the chevrolet dealer they don't stock them normally so you got to, have to pull them out send them off get another one put it in reprogram it reprogram it you tie it up a couple of days this one you're in and out of there in about three or four hours That's, we rebuild them right there in yeah house. right right in how and you're getting your own dash cluster back Correct. in too so, so no, no programming you don't have to program it and all That's that right. it's the exact same part that you had in i know we had a, a guy come in a while back he had had his instrument cluster changed at one of the dealerships and he had some features that were not working any longer. I don't remember what it was. I think his driver information center was not working and some other stuff. Okay. And so he took it back. And, of course, they told him, well, no, you need something else on that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So brought it in and kind of find out they had put the wrong dash in or programmed it wrong uh-huh. or hadn't programmed some part of it. Right. So each one of those dashes is a little different. I know I've seen people try to go to a junkyard and get one and put in. That don't, no, it won't work. work because a lot of the features won't hook up and if it's got a security system it may even shut the truck down not run right so there is a more cost effective way of doing it than necessarily just going buy a new one and there's that reprogramming 
if you buy a dash from GM and put right. it in yourself, right. you get about 20 miles and it locks out. I think it is 20 it's, miles. It's over. Yeah. You what can't it do is, anything else with it. It comes with a open loop in the programming mode that allows it to be programmed. Uh-huh. And what you have to do is when you install it, you have to go in and key in the mileage that's on the vehicle before, key in, I think, the VIN number and some other stuff like that. Well, what happens, they will give you 20 miles so you can get it somewhere and get that done. Correct. But after that, that loophole closes, cannot be reopened, and it's another new dash be got. Right. So it's funny. We had a guy, well, funny it wasn't so sad, but he went to Chevrolet, bought a dash, I think it was about $600, installed it himself. Of course, it cranked right up and ran, so, hey, I'm home free. That's he it. takes off, didn't heed the warnings. Got 20 miles shut down. Well, then he tows it in. Well, man, I'm sorry. Nothing yeah, it's, it's locked out. Yeah, we can't rebuild that because what that comes under is federal law because they don't want someone to have odometer rollback. Uh-huh. They don't want someone to put a dash in, not program it, run up 20,000 miles, then program it to a lower mileage and sell the car. Right. So because it comes under federal law, it is secured, and it gives you 20 miles just to get somewhere to get it programmed. So it do give you a way to do it. But if you don't program it within 20 miles, it's going to lock out, and that's it. You're done. That's right. It's, it's <laughs> so over. So stick a fork in it, it's done? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very, very, very sad when you sit there and look at that $600 invoice for a new dash. And exactly. Car don't run now. <laughs> <laughs> but it ran 20 miles ago. Well, that's right. I, I would think that would come under one of those lessons that one of those things you probably only do one time. That's it. Very know. expensive lessons. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's kind that really tend to stick with you. Yeah. And I guess there's lots of them like that in life. And boy, that one just, for some reason. <laughs> yeah, that's the one you tell everybody about, you know. And don't do this. Well, that's it. Smart man learns by his mistakes. And no, smart man learns by other people's mistakes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he ain't got to make that mistake himself. That's right. So we're going to take another quick little break. Lee, you hold on. You'll be straight up after this break. Hey. Agco Automotive is here to tell you some things are too good to be true. Like free beer, tomorrow, or lose weight on the ice cream and cheeseburger diet. Another thing too good to be true? The low price oil change. Automotive businesses will sucker you in with an under $30 oil change and then give you a huge list of recommended maintenance and repairs like flushes, brake work, rack and pinion leaks, oil leaks, and more. Well, AGCO says be smart. When you get the list, bring your vehicle to AGCO and we'll provide you an honest evaluation of any problems you may be having. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. AGCO, it's the place to go. Oh, and those beautiful models just waiting to talk to you late at night? Yeah. Too good to be true. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, president of Agco Automotive. We've got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Between two of us, trying to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and just give us a call? And we're going back to the phone lines with Lee. Good morning, Lee. Yes, sir. I have a 2003 Honda Pilot. All right, sir. It's got a rear main steel leak. Okay. Is it safe to drive it like that as long as I keep the oil level up? The biggest problem, Lee, is where the oil is going that's coming off. That oil can actually run down and soak into some of the rubber components under the car and 
make those go bad, which will cost you a lot more. So I wouldn't say you can drive it forever, but temporarily or for short term, yeah, as long as you keep an eye. Yeah, as long as you keep an eye on it. The only other problems are it's gonna make a big mess, of course, in your driveway and whatever. It's also gonna blow back on the exhaust system right. some and make smoke a lot of and make stink and make smoke and what have you. Right. But it shouldn't be a, a major problem. I mean, there's a very, very, very small chance it could catch fire if enough oil leaked on the catalytic converter, but that almost never happens. Also, I have a 9878 Whatever price they quoted is probably pretty close on the part. Like I said, labor's about an hour, so an hour times whatever their labor rate is. And there are two gaskets that go in there, which are they're fairly cheap, you know, eight ten dollars a piece. They should be changed when you change the cap. Yeah. Try not to use the old ones because they usually tear up when you take them apart. Right. Oh, you said the gasket. Yeah, there's yeah. two gaskets, one at each of the head pipes, and then they, I don't think it has one following the converter. I think that has a flange. I but, think it is. I think it's yeah. a ball flange. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or a slip fit. Yeah, but it's it's pretty expensive. But y'all do that, don't you? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. I'm really tired of it. It wouldn't but. be a bad idea to maybe get a second opinion on that. Yeah, just make sure that is just what's make, wrong yeah. with it. Because there are some other things that can set a converter code. And I'm not like saying... Bad oxygen yes, sir. If a bad upstream oxygen sensor can set a converter code when it's not actually bad, that's, all, that's um, one possibility. I think that truck has four oxygen sensors. Yeah, it's it bad. Have, 98. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I had the two after the converter changes about well, a year and a half. Yeah, that'll just make it worse. That's not right. going to make it better because it's comparing the front ones to the back ones, and it wants mm-hmm. to see a big difference between them. And if the front ones are lazy and you put two new ones in the back, they may be real active, and the front ones may be lazy, so they're looking about the same, so it assumes the converter's bad when it maybe it's not. Okay. That's the reason we say try to get a second yeah, opinion yeah, on it. Yeah, and I'm not saying the converter's not bad because it very it well may be. may be, especially that older vehicle. But just make sure you don't want to pop a converter in there and still have a light on, you know. Right. All righty. Okay, you guys. Thank okay, you. man. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you want to be part of the automotive, we would love to have you. I had a guy emailed me yesterday, and he asked if we could maybe discuss jumping a car, jump-starting a car just uh-huh. a little bit. And, of course, on the more modern cars, that's something you have to be really, really careful with. Very careful. You have so many electronics now that a backwards hookup can be thousands exactly you know before you might take out a light bulb or you know an alternator or something right but today's cars you've got multiple computers that are running networks on it and you turn the back voltage backwards on those right destroyed had a guy tell me one time he says i I hooked the cables up backwards but i just 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 for i pulled them right back off yeah I said, bro, electricity's going 186,000 miles a second. I don't you think go. you're that fast. You know? <laughs> but, yeah, it, you got to be very, very careful. Now, there are a lot of the new setups where they actually plug into your cigarette lighter. Uh-huh. I have never used one of those myself. But I haven't either. I have heard they work pretty well. That would certainly be a lot safer. If sure. you just got to jump the car off, that would certainly be the safest way to do it. If you don't have that and you just absolutely cannot get around it, because personally, I would rather have the car towed in pay a record bill, then run the risk of jumping one off wrong. Right. But Put you just absolutely have to do it. What you want to remember is that the red terminal or terminal that's got red on it and a big plus is the positive, and the black one or the negative one is the ground. Correct. You have to keep the polarity the same between the two vehicles. 
and you want to hook up the positive terminal to the positive terminal of the battery, the negative terminal to the donor battery, and then hook the negative cable on the engine block somewhere where you can ground it, where it's hooked to metal. Correct. That way you don't have a spark at the battery when you connect and disconnect it. Should you happen to have any excess vapor or anything well, that would ignite next to the battery? Well, when you got a dead battery and when it cranks up, it's going to start charging wide open, which is going to kick hydrogen gas out of that battery real fast, and that's, that's right. extremely explosive, so all you need is a spark, and it's not going to be pretty from there. And something else you should also do is turn your headlights on. That's use right. Use the high beam. Right. And also, yeah, turn your headlights on high beam when you do it on both vehicles and what that does that acts sort of like a buffer because what happens when you hook this up to two batteries the donor vehicle alternator kicks wide open because it's charging two batteries now correct and when you start the car that alternator is going to kick wide open when you disconnect those cables you're going to have a you surge can produce a surge which can knock out electronics in the car and so, being that the headlights are on they're drawing a lot of amperage that surge has to somewhere to go down. that is correct so just be absolutely certain that when you hook it up, you get positive to positive, negative to negative. Hook the ground on the car that has a dead battery to the engine block and not on the battery itself. Correct. And then start the other, the donor car, then go ahead and start that car. Before they start, actually turn your headlights on high, then very carefully disconnect the negative cable first. Correct. That, that way, way if you don't have a possibility spark, of a spark on if, the other cable. If there is, it's over by the engine and it's not next to the battery. That's right. So that's kind of the long and short of it. Again, in my opinion, jumping cars is one of those things that probably just needs to go away. I know GM issued a big old statement and just basically said, don't jump our cars off, uh -huh. period. We don't encourage that. Don't do it. Go ahead and just tow the car in. It's going to be cheaper. Well, that or just stop and put a battery in it. Yeah, or go get a battery and hook it up right, right there. But And, of course, the best thing is to avoid having to jump the car off by simply changing your battery out about every three years before it goes dead on you. Right. Because you know it's going to die. Or you figure under 100 bucks for a battery, that's right. it's going to last three years. Uh, You're about $33 a, a year. Yeah, that's right. That, that's, right. that's, that's nothing. Yeah, and that way you can just avoid all those kind of issues. But exactly. I hope that gives some information out there. And we're going to our phone lines. We've got Curtis online. Good morning, Curtis. Good morning. Yes, sir. I've got a uh, 01 Yukon XL, uh -huh. and when I go to uh, refill the washer fluid, it, it holds it for a little while, then it kind of just, over the course of a few hours, just completely drains uh -huh. out. Yes, sir. Um, where would I be able to locate that leak, and how difficult is that to change out? That is going to be probably in the washer jug itself, and mm -hmm. what happens is the little motors that run the washer, when you push the button that mm -hmm. squirt the water out, they right. actually start corroding inside, and they break down inside and actually start leaking. Through the motor. Through the motor itself, and it'll run out onto the ground. That is a fairly, I'm not going to say complicated thing to do, but if I remember the 01 Yukon, the battery is on the driver's side in the front, correct? Yes. Okay, the battery has to come out, the battery tray has to come out, the inner fender has to come out, and then the jug comes out the bottom. Okay. So it's it's and a pretty complicated... It may have two motors in it if it's got right. front and rear mm -hmm. washers right. on it. And I would suggest changing both the motors while you have it out. Yeah, because it's kind of okay. hard to get them out. And I, they're, they're a little bit pricey. I want to say those things are about 70 80 bucks a piece. Wow. But oh, wow. you put yeah. one in there and then another will start leaking. <laughs> you back doing it again. Good bit of labor to get them out of there. But uh, that's most of the time. I mean, Curtis, it's possible a hose popped Correct. off of it or something. That can okay. happen. Most windshield washer problems start out by people putting water in them instead of washer fluid. 
Right. And water will get bacteria in it. The bacteria will clog the lines. When the pump kicks on, it starts knocking hoses off because it's building back pressure. It'll take the pump out. It'll cause all kinds of other issues. So once you get it all off of there, clean everything out real good, and be sure you always use windshield washer fluid, and that'll prevent future problems. Okay, thank you. Okay, man. All right, Thank sir. you. Bye-bye. All right. I see we just about out of time. We're going to try to catch as many of these calls as we can. We've got Wayne online. Good morning, Wayne. Hey. Good yes, morning. Sir. My memory about something I was I heard Rush talk about yesterday with the <laughs> electric vehicles. Uh-huh. I can't remember if it was the Leaf or the Chevy Bolt, but he was saying, uh, one of them, if the battery totally discharges, uh-huh. you have to send the vehicle back to the manufacturer and have them replace the, the battery banks. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know that much about them, Wayne. All I know is I don't like them, and everything I read about them, I like them a lot less. Basically, totally implausible technology that's kind of being crammed down our throat. And I guess the thing that I hate the most about it is they're taking my tax dollars to subsidize the car companies to build this junk. Then they're taking more tax money and giving us incentive to the to buys it, <laughs> if I can say that. And, you know, I just hate my tax money going to encourage technology that just doesn't work. Just because somebody thinks it's a cool idea. Yeah, okay. All righty. All right, dude, thanks. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. I see we have squandered another perfectly good hour. That's it. Totally out of time. (laughs) Hey, just in case you did not get your questions answered. That's right. You can go to our website. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Easy way to remember that is take the acronyms Altazan's Garage Company. That's right. And I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning, every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And go on iTunes iTunes. and give us a rating. That will get us higher up on the the list. We would really, really Really appreciate appreciate that. Hey, the preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.